actually Israel have now more than 300 wineries, which is incredible. Tel Aviv right now has got the almost title of one of the best vegan destinations on the planet. It's very diverse. It's very fresh. We love to eat. And one of my things that's on my bucket list is to swim or float in the Dead Sea. <laughs> now, first of all, the Dead Sea, you, you're spot on with wanting to go there. Um, it is one of my favorite areas just because it is so unbelievably unique. This is episode 38 of the Travel Podcast. On this episode, we are discovering Israel with vibrant cities, great weather, world-renowned food scene, and a millennia of history and archaeology for you to explore. Our special guests share their knowledge, top recommendations, and explain why Israel is such a great destination to visit year-round. Welcome to the Travel Podcast. I'm Matthew from the Travel Podcast team. I'm also joined by Jules from the Travel Podcast team. Hi, Jules. Hi, Matthew. And Hello, Jules. Our, <laughs> that's Michelle, one of our special guests, as, along with Sharon from Israel Ministry of Tourism. So welcome, Michelle, and welcome, Sharon. Shalom. Hello, shalom. 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 Before we um, start exploring Israel, could you just give us a quick introduction of what you do and how long you've worked for Israel Ministry of Tourism? If we start with um, you first, Sharon. So hi, everyone. Shalom. I'm uh, Sharon uh, from um, the London um, office of the Israel Government Tourist Office. I have been here for the past four years. You, you can hear I still, I don't have the British accent, not yet. I'm working on that. And beforehand, I was working in the ministry in Jerusalem for about three years. So altogether, quite a lot of, of uh, experience with the Israeli uh, tourism. Um, yeah, I think that's it. And I'm Michelle. Um, Again, another weird accent. Yes, I'm originally from the States. I live in the UK and now I work for the Israeli government. Um, I have been working for the tourist office for the past ooh, 11 and a half years. And I love my job, believe it or not. It's nice to be able to say that. <laughs> No, definitely. And, and I know speaking um, with you, especially Michelle and both, well, both of you, how passionate you are of uh, Israel. And it's been very interesting, uh, Jules and I were talking before coming on air, how, how much we know about Israel, but also how little we know about Israel um, from the, some of the hidden gems, which we'll be discussing a little bit further down the line. And for, for those that may not know too much about Israel, its location, how to get there, weather, currency, any visa requirements. Um, Michelle, if you could just give us an overview of, of that for us, please. Sure. Well, okay. Now, Israel is located on the Mediterranean Sea. It's on the Eastern Med. Um, it has a lovely long coastline on the Mediterranean. Um, to get an idea of where our little country is, um, Lebanon's to the north, you've got Jordan and Syria to the west, and Egypt to the south. Um, it is a very small country, but with a ton of diversity as far as um, landscapes and cultures and climates and the whole bit. So it's a lot of wonderful things to see and hear and taste and smell and the whole bit, but just with a little itty bitty space. I think it's the size of Wales. Yeah, it's about, it's roughly the same land size as Wales, just shaped differently. Um, to get there, you will be able to get flights from the London area and from Manchester that are going to be direct flights. Um, you have five big carriers that do it. You have LL, British Airways, Virgin Atlantic, EasyJet, and Wiz. Um, one of the great things about Israel is its weather because they have very short winters and the winters tend to be mild and very long, hot summers. So it makes it a really brilliant location, especially for UK people to visit because you can get some really lovely sunshine when you're over there. Um, as far as currency goes, currency is called the shekel. Um, the exchange rate just depends on what's going on in the world right now, but it's probably, you're thinking about London prices, but it's very good value for everything when you're over there. And probably one of the big things is people want to know if they need visas or not. Now, most of Europe 
like the United States, North America doesn't need a visa. Most of Europe doesn't need visas. There are a few countries here and there that do, but you can always contact your local IGTO office to find out if a visa is necessary. But as long as you've got six months left on your passport, you don't need anything. Also, very important to know is the fact that Israel does not stamp your passport. So just in case you wanted to go someplace that you know, there will be no stamp in your passport. So traveling to the rest of the world is really easy. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for the little bit of an overview of, of where Israel is, how to get there, the visa requirements and the weather. And it's one thing that I didn't really think about is the weather. And I'm definitely now thinking about Israel for some winter sun getaways and especially going to see the likes of Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, which I think a lot of people that would have uh, will think about traveling to Israel will be thinking of those two uh, cities and destinations, but they both offer something quite different. So just start with, obviously, Sean, you from Israel, I mean, how are the cities different and, and what can the listeners expect when visiting Jerusalem and Tel Aviv? Well, it's funny, I actually grew up in a city just uh, very near to Tel Aviv and moved uh, for university to Jerusalem. So I actually experienced both cities myself. Um, I think you can say about the two cities, uh, many different things and many similar things. So Tel Aviv is very, exciting and and liberal open artistics a lot of the art scene is very strong over there excellent dining from we'll talk about later on um like gourmet chefs restaurant and a lot of street food which is also really wonderful markets um wonderful shopping and fashion um and very rich in culture museums people go jogging on the beach and doing lots of exercise outside wonderful weather um there's there's a very strong electric vibe in tel aviv um some other people compare it to um, LA or sometime New York, sometime London. There's a bit of everything there, but very Mediterranean as well. So this is Tel Aviv. And when you go to Jerusalem, yes, it's also very artistic, very um, amazing with food, a lot of markets. You know, there's a lot of that, but also there's the magic of Jerusalem. I, I don't think... Um, if I said Jerusalem to anyone in the world, uh, there's very few people that would ask me, you know, come again. I never heard about the city. So everyone heard something about Jerusalem. It, yes. So it's full of historic sites. It's very ancient, but also there's like a lot of uh, a new part of the city. Um, um, you know, it's very important for the three monotheistic religions. Um, I think it's, it's they, they have like the most... Um, museum, they're like yeah, museums. I think Jerusalem is one of the cities with the most museums per capita. Per capita, people. yeah, in the world or something yeah. very extraordinary. Um, very, very rich in culture. Like you, you can meet uh, uh, people. Um, your neighbors can be um, from all over the world. Basically, very, very multicultural and brilliant, brilliant dining option. I cannot say it enough. Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, but very, um, maybe a bit different between two cities. Jerusalem dining is maybe a bit more rough, edgy, and Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv, you can find more, sometimes fine dining. Amazing. I mean, I do like a, a bit of rough food and, and, it, and find a bit more culture. So Jerusalem definitely sounds very interesting and, and not really something I would have expected. Like you said, I know, I know it uh, from the historical point of view not knowing that there's so many museums per capita there and tel aviv sounds so vibrant it's by the beach as well so i think that's mm -hmm. a great winter winter sun destination for me bit of a, a nice apres um or outdoor dining in in the summer in the winter it would be lovely but um i know there's more to it than just that so i know jules is George has been looking a bit further afield from Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. Yeah, definitely. So I I think Jerusalem looks absolutely amazing for the historical side of things and and the culture and the religion. But then you've got this more like modern multicultural Tel Aviv. So it, the two areas are completely different, give you completely different experiences. But like you said, just within the small land space of Wales. Um, but yeah, there's so much you can drive in less than one hour between the two cities. Yeah. 
and they're so different. That's so crazy how different they are in just an hour apart. But then, yeah, so like Matthew said, there's there's much more to see. And one of my things that's on my bucket list is to swim or float in the Dead Sea. (laughs) And what other hidden gems can listeners enjoy and explore when they when they visit that sort of area? Now, first of all, the Dead Sea, you're spot on with wanting to go there. Um, It is one of my favorite areas just because it is so unbelievably unique. Um, Not only does the air affect you because there's extra oxygen, um, it has all sorts of elements that are evaporating from the water and it works on your central nervous system. Now, I thought that was just something they told the tourist when I was told that. I found out firsthand it actually works. I can't believe I was just sitting on a balcony, breathing in the air and realized how unbelievably relaxed and contented I felt. And I hadn't been drinking anything. I have to make that very, very, very clear. Um, But the mud that you spread on your body and then just the whole experience of going into the Dead Sea and having your body just automatically pop up when you hit a certain buoyancy, and you feel like you're being cradled underneath just by these invisible hands. It, it is something that is just cool. It, it just, it, it's really up there on those one of a, once in a lifetime experiences that you gotta do. But I would go back there every single time I go. But it's not only the Dead Sea, okay? You have got areas all over the country that are just spectacular. Um, one of my favorites is Akko. Now, Akko is in the north of the country. It is located just a short distance away from Haifa. And Haifa, a lot of people will know because that is one of the major cruise ports in Israel where you get a lot of the cruise ships that stop through there so people can do their um, shore excursions um, throughout Israel and Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. They can visit from there. Um, But Akko is actually originally the underground crusader city. Um, Richard the Lionheart actually established his base for the crusades in Akko. And the really cool thing is the fact that when the consequent civilizations came after, you know, the whole crusades, they actually buried all that architecture under the ground. And now they are excavating it. And to say that you can really have an honest to goodness, Indiana Jones type experience when you're in Akko, because you go down under the city and you could see these gorgeous old brick arches and architecture and the tunnels that go all over and the amount of, you know, archeology span they find in artifacts. It, to me, when you're a nerd like me, it is really primo stuff, but the whole north and the south, I mean, it is unbelievable. You've got the Sea of Galilee area and being able to go to Sea of Galilee, especially when you've grown up hearing biblical stories, being actual there and being able to see these stories, the locations of the stories you've heard about from, you know, your entire life. It's you just amazing. To, you can try to walk on the water. You can try to walk on water and take a boat. Yeah. It, it's going to be a little bit wet, I think, but... Um, but that's another good thing that you do. You can swim in the sea. Of um, but then you've got, so the entire North is like really green and lots of agriculture and trees and wildlife. But then you go down to the desert and it is a whole different experience. And what's so cool is that you can be up in the Galilee area and you can literally in two hours, or if you want to get further South, a couple hours, you can be in the desert and you're, landscape is completely and totally different. Um, And then, of course, at the bottom, you have Elat, which um, I hate to say this, the both of you look a little bit too young to remember Elat in its heyday. But Elat is a great place for winter sun. Unbelievable. Um, Great resorts. The Red Sea, obviously, you know, the Red Sea is great for diving and snorkeling and water sports. So, It is like this completely all-encompassing destination for people to enjoy in one tiny space that's easy to get around. It is the, just this perfection, really. (laughs) 
Yeah, I was looking particularly at, at uh, Elat, and I thought uh, I saw something that looked really fun, the Coral Beach Underwater Observatory. Yeah. Where you could actually see the flashlight fish. And so they have like a dark room, so you can see it in its like luminescent glory. I thought that sounded amazing. I love all, all those uh, like nature and David Attenborough type experiences. Well, Did you say that was a great one for the whole family to go there? Absolutely. And one of the best things in a lot, this is this is always my favorite talk. My, that's why my director had a little giggle, because I always talk about this, is the fact that it's one of the only places in the world you can go swim with dolphins and not feel guilty about it. They have a place called Dolphin Reef down there, which any interaction with the dolphins and Dolphin Reef are based on what the dolphins want to do. It is all left up to them. They're not forced to perform. They're not forced to swim with people. All the interactions are based on the dolphins wanting to get involved. And there aren't many places around the world like that. In fact, the dolphins can and have in the past jumped the fence, but they come back because of the great relationship that the people who run the place have built up with these dolphins. So to be able to do something like that and not feel that guilt after, it, it really is special. Oh, definitely. That's a, so it's a real free willy, but uh, in dolphin yeah. form. <laughs> and he won't, he won't have to jump. He, yeah, Willie wouldn't have to jump out of this place. <laughs> Bless him. And also I saw um, Team the Park. That looked like an amazing experience where you could, in Elat, where you could camp under the stars. And I, I think there's a zip line. Is there a zip line there? I don't know. Now, there could be. I know that down in Elat, just outside of it, there's some really cool different parks that you can do. The It's like an indoor climbing area. And it's so funny. In the UK, you have indoor climbing areas to get you out of the weather. But in Elat, you have indoor climbing areas to give you some air conditioning to do this stuff in. Um, but I think the whole area outside a lot. Um, I think what's unique about this place is that in a lot, it's, it's like, just, you know, you're just every modern modern city plus the benefit of the water sport and the dolphin, everything that Michelle described, the wonderful hotels, etc. But the minute you go outside and you can see it while swimming in the Red Sea inside a lot, you see the scenery of the beautiful uh, desert mountains. And so when you go outside, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you know, 30 minutes, to Tina Park, to uh, maybe further on to meet Speramon, um, when you know uh, you, you have like a very unique crater. It's not even a crater. We we say in Hebrew Machtesh, and it's not really equivalent. Um, um, yeah, uh, it's not English word for it because it's very unique. Yeah, it's the when we speak about the Ramon crater, it's actually not like a meteor crater or yeah. something like that. It's actually is a huge depression that has been carved by wind and water, and it's it's actually the world's largest erosion crater, but it's so so yeah. So in this area, um, you have this this unique um, phenomenon, but you can also go hiking and biking, and um, you know just star uh, um, stargazing, stargazing in the night. Yeah, in the night is one of the most popular activity over there, actually. Um, and you know the people we we, we people even grow. Um, fresh vegetables um, in the desert and they make actually wonderful wine over there as well. So a lot of surprising information about the desert area and everything that surrounds a lot. No, amazing. And you were mentioning there, obviously, there's so much to do just around Elat from uh, the water sports, going out stargazing, biking into the mountains. It's, for those looking not just to Elat, but around the rest of Israel, you know, what, what activities and experiences are there really to, to offer on the land and sea? Um, for for those vis uh, visitors, John. I I think most of the water sport that you can imagine, you can find a place to do. Um, don't forget, we we have quite a lot of, uh, of 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 wet places to do it. So we have the Red Sea, the Med Sea, the Sea of Galilee, um, and and the Dead Sea. So we have four different seas to to enjoy water sports. Well, maybe in the in the Dead Sea, you're not really enjoying water sports, but you can do again other stuff like floating. Yeah, um, floating is good. That is the main thing you can do over there. Um, plus um, the the mud, mm -hmm. the, the mud uh, spreading. Um, but I think Israelis people, we are very very active people. 
maybe it's because of the weather, maybe it's because of the, you know, atmosphere in the country or, or the people, you know, this is just something we love to do. So every Saturday, uh, we pack our car and our kids and, you know, we go do picnic here or biking there, exploring the new grounds, you know, everywhere that we can. A lot of hiking, actually, is something we really love to do and camping. So there's a lot of possibilities to do, you know, outdoor activities again because of the wonderful weather. Um you know, you can do a lot of sighting, a lot of historical sighting again in the in Akko, in the Galilee area, in Jerusalem, also um, just doing uh, um, city tours in Tel Aviv, exploring the art scene, the food scene, the fashion scene. So I think there's almost a tour for everything you can you can imagine. And dare I say, Israel, even though it is being able to hire a guide or go with a guide viewing any of these places is really wonderful, but never underestimate the fact that there are free walking tours mm -hmm. for all these major cities that you can go on. So if you want the luxury of having, you know, somebody specifically for you, it's there, but there's also a lot of free walking tours when you're going around that'll be able to tell you the history of the area, give you explanations on what you're seeing, and it won't cost you an arm or leg, which is always a good thing when you're talking about going on holiday, it's always nice to know there are free things you can do. Maybe the most surprising uh, fun fact you should know, it, um, it may snow in Israel, mostly in the north, sometimes in Jerusalem, mostly in the north of the country. And the you can find most of the snow around the Mount of Hermon, Hermon Mountain. Um, where actually Israelis like to queue and to go skiing. It usually takes one month of the year, around February, which is the coldest month. Um, so you can actually ski in Israel. I don't think a lot of people know this. I wouldn't. I I, I wouldn't suggest doing a ski-only trip there no. because if you you can get some really good weather. But one of my little curious facts is the fact that if you wanted to, technically, you could go skiing in the morning and drive down to the Dead Sea in the afternoon to soak your bones from being sore from skiing in the morning. So <laughs> I don't know if anybody actually has ever done that, but it is technically possible. And I know in my past skiing, I probably could have used that trip to the Dead Sea to soak my weary bones after the fact, so. <laughs> No, you, it sounds like you've got to uh, you've got a lot of different activities that that you can do, which is great because there's so much to eat. So we <laughs> need to make sure that we go hiking and skiing and diving before we get fully involved in the in the food scene. And um, when I was doing my research, I one thing that struck me particularly as being something against the norm that we experience here in the UK is you eat your hummus hot. <laughs> Basically, we eat our hummus fresh. Equal, it, it usually means it, it's hot or, or warmish. Um, this is one of the um, actually social activity you can do with your friends or your family. You go in on, on Friday morning, noon, um, to a hummus place, the hummus eatery, and sit in a big table with your friend and just eat fresh hummus that, you know, um, the, the, the owner of the place just made. And it's, you can eat it with a fork, with a bit of an onion, or with a pita bread, obviously. That's the obvious way to eat it. Um, but Israel is not, you know, it's not all around hummus as maybe some people can think. Um, we have, you know, culinary traditions that um, the Jewish people brought from all over the world. So in one um, uh, restaurant, you can find stuff, you know, originated maybe from Turkey, from um Eastern Europe. From Eastern Europe, from, you know, you can find it again in a restaurant when a, a, an Israeli chef took it and mixed it up with local ingredients and stuff he learned in a, you know, in a culinary school in, in Italy. So you see like a mixture of that. Um, you can meet it uh, um, in a Shabbat dinner if your family is, you know, half from Eastern Europe and half from whatever, Morocco, you can find in the dinner, on the dinner table stuff from both 
areas of the world. And again, but plus, you know, someone uh, uh, came in for the Shabbat dinner and brought wine from the Galileo or from the desert. And you have this mix, mishmash, we say, of a beautiful dinner that you cannot find anywhere in the world. Um, I can go on and on actually about the food, but the main idea, it's, it's very diverse. It's very fresh. We love to eat. So for example, we're very proud um, talking about our famous Israeli breakfast. Oh. Usually in normal times when you go on, you know, um, hotel or a BNB, whatever in Israel, and you wake up in the morning, you want to eat some breakfast, your typical maybe uh, British mind would think, well, like, I'll take a bit of bacon, a bit of bread and, you know, a bit of juice and, and that's it. And, uh, we'll, uh, you know, find a restaurant later and eat something properly. But in actually in Israel, you will be amazed from the amount and the variety of food, fresh salads, fresh food, uh, um, you know, different kinds of coffee, teas, juices, that's the obvious, but omelets, cheeses, um, everything that is fresh and you can think of would be would be there. And we love to eat a lot and we love to eat good food. Um, and I think it can take you for a few hours and then, you know, you, you go around the city, maybe in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, find a great place to eat on the street, maybe inside the market, you, you grab a fresh falafel um, or you sambusak or my favorite, sabich. Um, and you continue and go for dinner in a fancy restaurant. So you have all of this variety, but you cannot really stop the eating. Yeah, it's it's all over the place and it's just special. That was, I think, because I didn't really know Israel before I started working before I started working here. I was honestly like a blank slate as far as my knowledge goes. And that was one of the most pleasant surprises was you go over there and you, you you just don't expect the food to be, you know, you expect it to be good, but the food itself is just worth visiting. It really seriously is. You don't have to see yeah. one historic monument. You can just go eat and you'd be a happy camper. <laughs> Maybe that's why you're all so active in Israel is because you love your food so much. You need to make sure that you're active. <gasps> Yeah. And culinary wise, a really important thing to also note is that Tel Aviv right now has got the almost title of one of the best vegan destinations on the planet. Um, we know this amazing woman there. Her name is or Orisha Vit. Orisha Vit, yeah. And we've actually had her um, do talks over here because she has been instrumental in getting the restaurants to offer vegan options. So People who are vegetarian and vegan will probably find Israel exceptional. Yeah. And even meat eaters, dare I say, are trying all these great vegan recipes. Um, I've been turned on to a couple really good, like, not so much like there's something called shakshuka, which I never thought of before I started working here. But shakshuka is basically spices and stewed tomatoes with um if you're not vegetarian, you can have eggs on top. If you're not vegan. If you're not vegan. But if you're vegan, you can like just crash corn. up some corn yeah. and cut it in there. But that's the one thing I make. I make killer shakshuka. It's so easy, but you just don't think about it when you're like from the UK. But now, man, it's part of my, at least every few weeks, I have a homemade box of shakshuka. I would, I would say I miss the uh, um, exceptional great ice creams shops yeah. um it, it sounds like obvious ice cream it should be good right because it's sweet and nice and cold but no actually the ice cream places there's like uh, a scene in recent years of boutique ice cream shops all around um the country but especially around tel aviv and and it's you know it's an afternoon uh weekend treat you you go you walk um in, in you know beautiful weather in um, during the summer, not necessarily, and every time you try a different flavor, and and every time is is just so good. Let's just put it this way: there are really very, if a restaurant doesn't offer excellent food, 
you don't have to, the visitors don't have to worry because the Israelis will take care of getting rid of them. Um, you People who visit can actually take advantage of the incredible Israeli palate because if a restaurant isn't good, it will not stay open. Nothing mediocre, everything there, you have to be on top of your game to, to keep you know the local people from coming, you know, keep them coming in. It sounds as well, the way that you speak about the food in Israel, it must be made with such love. I think that's what uh, must make it taste so good. Because I can tell by the way that you're talking about all the different options and, and the freshness of the food that we don't really experience too much in the UK, I'll be honest. Um, but yeah, that it sounds like a, there's a lot of love that goes into into the food and the eateries, and it sounds like a real occasion when Sharon, Sharon when you were speaking about uh, breakfast and all those dishes, yeah. is that sort of like a big family occasion where you're all sort of picking little bits on little plates? It's um, it, it, it it's part of I think the culture as you said it's it, it's full of love everything and how we prepare the food, um, it's full of memories from you know how our grandmother used to cook and try to do the exact recipe but try to modernize it but also the act of the little plates and sitting around the table and everyone grabs something it's one of the tradition you know um and it, on friday evening to take the challah bread and everyone take a tiny piece and pass it over you know around the table so the the the, the sit together divide the food to tiny places but everyone sharing sharing plates is something within the culture so much which you know i i don't even think the current um covid will affect this act that people will continue to act like that because this is how we eat yeah of course you can't change that as for hundreds and hundreds of years in your country has been like this but it's, it's fantastic. I don't know if you're allowed to specifically mention any exact restaurants. Do you have like your one that you go to that like maybe for your birthday or for a special occasion? Oh my God, there's so many. I don't I actually, again, I have I've been living in, in the UK for the past four years, but um, one of my must go and I actually, um, took him to, to have like a webinar for um, international journalists, uh, the chef, uh, the chef owner of Hakosem restaurant. Um, Hakosem is like the magician. Um, he is doing really killer hummus, um, sabich, shawarma in, in Tel Aviv. It's a street food type of restaurant. Most of the people eating while standing gathering the street, um, drinking his pink lemonade. Uh, but everything is so fresh. And he's doing, you know, very, very simple recipes, very simple food, but he takes it very seriously. Actually, he was one of the partners uh, writing uh, um, a very new book that dedicate um, to, to hummus. So a very thick book actually <laughs> all about hummus and the tradition you know and and how you make it locally in, in Israel and in other places in the world but so he takes everything that he that he do very very seriously and you can and you can feel the love and the passion in the food that he makes and this is this is my go-to when when I visit Israel but there's so many other places please don't make me choose <laughs> I once, don't laugh, but um, one of my favorite meals I ever had in Israel, it's a place called Benny the Fisherman's and it's in the Tel Aviv port. And we ordered as a group, this just huge fish thing. You can choose how you want your fish cooked. You have your main fish that everybody shares and then you've got all the little I things. Think, I think over there you get like 50 different small plates with, with yeah. salads and vegetables and olives and hummus and tahini and really like 50 plates everyone yeah. shares and the main thing i want to tell when people actually go to israel and you go to a restaurant and if they start putting food in front of you my best advice is to pace yourself because they will bring out what seems to be appetizers that look like full meals you start scarfing it 
enjoying it like it's the main meal. And then all of a sudden more food comes and you're going, oh my gosh, <laughs> you have to walk over there. Otherwise, you, otherwise people would be like five feet wide, everybody, if they didn't have an active lifestyle. And and I know this is Jules, one of Jules's favorite um, topics. So if I don't stop her, she'll just keep going on to make notes on her trip to go <laughs> and, uh, and enjoy the food. She absolutely loves it. Um, but obviously with all this great food and you've mentioned it a few times, the Israeli wine and, and the drinks and Michelle, before we came on, you're mentioning this is um, one of your favorite things to do uh, when you, when you're out in Israel is enjoy a few tipples, but um, what would be your recommendations? Are there any other local drinks of choices that you can't really get anywhere else from a cocktail point of view, or obviously a, a bit more about the wine? What, what's good to drink with the food? Well, one of the big surprises when I started working here is how important and variety of the wineries that are available in Israel. Um, the really cool thing is that up in the north, that will, the north of Israel looks like your atypical wine country, you know, rolling hills, very green. But the fact that you can grow grapes in the Judean hills, which are technically more dry, and grow wine in the desert. There are wineries in the desert that grow beautiful wines. Um, I have to giggle because I was not a red wine drinker before I started this job. And all it took was tasting just your bog standard Israeli red wine. It wasn't even a it was like a combo wine that used a variety of different red grapes. It completely changed my palate, and made me appreciate red wine. Um, but. Apart from wine, there is increased, you know, microbreweries. Those are especially on the rise right now. Tel Aviv, what kind of started it. And you can find microbreweries all over the country for, you know, bespoke beers. Um, there are distilleries. There is great gin and whiskey. Um, and then there's a local, you know how every country seems to have their own little like local liqueur or spirit that they like. I think in Israel, it's called Arak. Ah. Arak, sorry. It's my, my bad pronunciation. <laughs> but Arak is, think about ouzo. It's like ouzo assembuka. Anisee flavor. Yeah, it's anisee yeah. flavor. And it's so funny, Sharon and I were having a little discussion before we went on air here, the fact that I've had Arak with apple juice, and I really liked it, but my, I've been my told. My favorite is with, with lemon juice. Yeah, so she, she drinks Arak with lemon juice. Either way, You'll know you drank some after you drank it. <laughs> it. Yeah, you can. I would I would maybe add about the um, what you started to say about the wines that actually is where I have now more than 300 wineries, um, which is incredible for such a tiny country. And again, it's it, the, 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 the you know, you have your big wineries and you have your small boutique wineries. You can actually do, you know, wineries tour if you really want to. Um, it's of course, it's possible for a few days just to to uh, visit, visit wineries, cheese places, you know, all, all this great scene um and and some of the wines are um getting very high scored in you know wine competition in the world and of course you can get it also outside israel um you know here in the uk um in america and, and other places in europe and and you know and anywhere i guess um you can you can think of yeah and there's one last one and this is still on my have to experience list but one of the only places in the world you can get pomegranate wine is actually in Israel. Now, I have not been able to taste this yet, and it is on my wish list. And I, in fact, I'm going to declare right now that the next time I go to Israel, I'm going to try pomegranate wine because I keep, you know how you put it off and you just think, but no, it's, it looks and sounds like it's going to taste amazing. So that's my next thing when I go there. But Cocktail bars, by the way, especially in the bigger cities like Tel Aviv, there is, a you know, the whole elegant cocktail bar thing is very easy to find. Um, and just like the ingenuity they have with food, they have the ingenuity with these cocktails. And you can have a quite beautiful cocktail experience when you're over there. I am apologize now for my pronunciation of the Iraq. Is, is that... No, you're doing good. Don't worry. 
<laughs> okay, cool. Perfect. Well, I'll definitely be trying some of that and I'll try both with apple and lemon. So, and then um, decide and let us know. And then decide the- and yeah, and let you know. I'll <clears throat> hopefully still be able to um, remember after having a few of those. So <laughs> there's something that, that I, I, I love doing is, is trying those traditional um, food, food and drink. And um, what would be, obviously, this is going to be now top of one of my lists to do is, is try that. But what would be your top three must-dos when visiting Israel? So uh, you can go up to five if you want, because I know there's obviously very hard choices. Um, but if we start with you, Michelle. For me, if you're talking just a particular site, not a city or anything else, but just a particular site, there is a place on the Dead Sea called Masada. Now, Masada is the location where King Herod built his winter palace on top of a mountain plateau in one of the driest areas of the world, and it had swimming pools. Now, I want you to imagine 2,000 some odd years ago, they had swimming pools on top of a fortress in the desert. The sheer logistics of how they did this are fascinating. And when you visit Masada, you can do it one or two ways. You can either be like me and take the easy way up, which is this great cable car ride, much easier. Or a lot of people, it's like a tradition for people to climb to the top of Masada to enjoy sunrise over the Jordanian mountains from the top of Masada. Now, if I ever really get fit, I probably will put that in my repertoire. But right now, I don't think I'd make it up, you know, the path. Um, but Masada is just a fascinating site. It's got a really rich history. The archaeology that they've collected is amazing. So that's one of mine. Sharon, would you like to uh, oh, maybe finish the three and then I'll say. Oh, my three. three. OK, so Masada is my one. I will admit that Akko holds a special place in my heart. Um, I am all about the pretending I'm an actual archaeologist type person. So being able to go and explore the tunnels and see what they've uncovered to me is very, very fascinating. And okay, this sounds boring, but you can't beat Tel Aviv. You seriously can't beat Tel Aviv. It is the, it's just this all encompassing something for everybody type city. And I love Jerusalem, by the way. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I find Jerusalem fascinating, but just there's just something about the atmosphere in Tel Aviv that appears to my possibly crazier, more liberal side nature. <laughs> because you just I just feel at home when I'm there and the people are friendly and everything else. It it's just wonderful. And I will hand over to the expert now. <laughs> Um, three top things to do when you're in Israel, let's see. So I think the first go-to thing, um, where, especially when you're visiting for the first time, go to the Western Wall and put a little note for God. So this is the tradition. You come to the Western Wall and you, you, you know, grab like a, a pen and paper and you write, write your, your wish or your thoughts you pull it very, you know, very, very small because there's, there's so many notes over there. Um, I think they actually started to do it also online now. You can actually write to God online. He reads it all. And <laughs> put it inside, you know, you say a little prayer or whatever you want. Um, and and you hope it will come true. So I think it's very, very unique and exciting thing to do. Um, maybe number two would be Go to, um, it's also in Jerusalem, go to Machne Yehuda Market, um, which is such an exciting, vibrant, um, full of shouting, usually on Friday market, full of people, full, full of excitement and fresh food. Um, you know, just sit there in, in a little, you know, uh, um, cafe or a little pub inside the market and just enjoy the atmosphere, buy some stuff for your Friday, you know, dinner, um, so you can cook later on and and just go home and cook it. So this is like an experience or a thing to do, or if you're just visiting and staying in a hotel, um, I think there's like also a way to join in Shabbat dinner without actually cooking or with uh, cooking alongside with, with a local chef. So, the whole market Shabbat dinner is in Jerusalem. It's also a unique experience. 
Um, number three will be going to the desert, especially around the Mitzperamon area, which we talked before, and and enjoy all of the outdoor activity there is to do during the day and camping during the night and, and just enjoy the the beautiful night sky and the stars. Amazing. I've already been looking up um, going to Masada and doing that hike. Uh, that looks am- amazing. Uh, I, I do love a little adventure like that. Jules, you in? Oh, 100%. And Michelle was talking about what great value it is. So should be able to get a bargain. Uh, definitely. We'll go out there, then we'll go back and uh, enjoy a drink or two in Tel Aviv. But yeah, just looking I'm at the. We can celebrate when we get to the top. Um, of Masada <laughs> as a celebration, have some pomegranate wine. If it's allowed, obviously, we don't want to be disrespectful to the National Park if it's not, not one of those things. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely amazing. I, I, I love stargazing as well, Sean. So it sounds um, brilliant to be able to go and do that uh, whilst out on holiday. Ooh. Jules? <laughs> Sorry. Um, but um, yes, yeah, so I was just going to ask, where would you recommend staying? So I know it's not a very big country, but would you recommend maybe doing a few nights in Tel Aviv, a few nights Jerusalem, or is accommodation in Jerusalem harder to to come across? What what would you recommend for maybe like a week or ten days holiday? I think uh, a lot of the people, especially when they go on a, a group tour, but not necessarily they go for the duration between like a week, nine, 10 days. I think this is a good timing to explore the majority, if not all of the country. So you can definitely do that, or you can actually come for a long weekend uh, for like a city break or cities break as our um, recent campaign say, you know, you come for like four days, you spend two days in Tel Aviv, two days in Jerusalem, or, you know, three in one, or you jump to the Dead Sea um, in the middle, or you jump on a train and go to visit Akko, everything only in four days. So this is something you can, you can do as well. Um, if you're talking about accommodation, you can find literally, literally, everything in Israel. So again, from camping to very luxury hotels um, in the desert, in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, you find a lot of luxury hotels and boutique hotels. You find a lot of that as well in recent years Um, and hostels. So you can, if you really want, you can share a room with other people and pay very, very, you know, very little or you can um i don't know i think we cover the most of it yeah i have to admit that don't even for those who want to do it a little bit more of a budget um there are uh hostels in israel and primarily the one i know about is in jerusalem but they also have one in tel aviv it's called abraham hostels but they were actually voted a couple years ago one of the best hostels in the world yeah so it is yeah they weren't. So, yeah, it was um, you can do cheap, but oh, there's some lovely luxury properties there, too, that you can just completely pamper yourself. Um, we're really excited because hopefully either the end of this year or it may be beginning the beginning of next, depending on the situation. But we also have a six senses spa hotel opening up in the desert. Now, I haven't seen this personally. But I've seen the photos, and if you want just an incredible luxury spa holiday in the middle of a desert with its own camels, <laughs> they have their own little camel farm too down there, um, it's going to be a really cool option. But there are a lot of different options over there. You can find something in your budget, and it all depends on what you're interested in. Oh, quickly though, I also do want to say for those who don't like changing hotels a lot, you can so easily base yourself in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem and see the rest of the country. You don't need to move around if you don't want to, because you've got, if you base yourself in Tel Aviv, you've got Jerusalem's under an hour, the Dead Sea is two hours, up, you can get up to the Galilee in two hours. These are all day trips. So if you're not a person who, who likes just to unpack their stuff and let it sit, you can see most of the country without even having to leave you know, the same hotel, if that's what you like. Amazing. And with that, 
is it easy to drive or would you get uh, buses or do tours from the hotel? How would people be able to base themselves in one place and then go and explore? You can definitely hire a car and drive through because um, it's just easy to do. And most of the signs are in English, um, if not all of them. Yeah. Um, you know, the people are friendly if you're stuck anywhere and you can ask and get around easily. Everyone talks English. Again, very easy to just take a car and drive yourself. Every hotel and, and the hostels, you know, offer the services of, of, uh, of the guided tours. Um, you can do public transport. It's not a problem. The, I think the most easy way to do it is with a train. Um, hop on a train from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Now with a, we have like a fast train. Yeah, it takes around 20 minutes to go. Um, you can take a train to the north area. And like I said before, from Tel Aviv, visit Akko for, for the day and come back. So you can easily, like Michelle said before, best yourself and your favorite um, hotel in Tel Aviv and just, just enjoy most of the country by you know, public transportation or, or a car or whatever. And the really great thing is that is one thing where Israel is a lot more reasonably priced than the UK is because um, the public transportation over there is priced a lot better than it would be if you were going to take a train in the UK. So you can get, um, it's, it's very easy to get around when you're there. And trust me, for this girl who doesn't speak Hebrew, I can guarantee you that we're not just saying people speak English. I wouldn't be here for 11 and a half years if English wasn't widely spoken because my Hebrew is non-existent. Um, but it's so nice to be able to talk to people and meet local people when you're over there. It's one of the, it's I meet new people every single time I go over there and it is so special. I enjoy it. And I. Really got to watch myself because now I'm really missing Israel after talking to you guys. Well, I was already uh, looking to to get out there to enjoy either the summertime or some winter sun. I have um, friends who have been out many times and, and one who lives out there. So it's, it's definitely a place I need to go now and explore. Uh, we were looking just maybe to a city break, as you mentioned, you know, so a lot of people go for three or four nights and can do it but I may have to extend that now after listening to how much else there is to do <laughs> maybe do a city and a beach break so go go, uh, go down to the Red Sea and then come back up to the city so it's, it's so much more to Israel than what was expecting I think this this episode really has highlighted that so I just want to say thank you both uh, Sharon and Michelle for joining us on this episode so thank you oh, thank, thank you, you so much it was a pleasure and thank you, Jules, as always, for coming on as uh, as one of the podcast team. No problem. I want to just practice my Hebrew. Can I say, Sharon, am I saying this right? Koltuv. Um, yeah, that was brilliant, actually. And what does that mean, Jules, for those who aren't as yeah. fluent in Hebrew as you? Sorry? Be well. Be well. Just a greeting when you say when, when you leave. Be well. Be well. See you. Be well. <laughs> and again, Jules. Thank you so much, guys. It has been an absolute pleasure. We really appreciate this. And trust me, we look forward to welcoming everybody to Israel when the time is right. And it will happen. And for everyone that's listening, do make sure to check out this episode page on the travelpodcast.com where you'll find links to many of the topics we have covered today. So you can go and explore some historical sites virtually before booking your trip to Israel. And if you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast platform of choice and do share this with your friends and family. And thank you for listening. 